Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff. And today, I'm grateful that you're here, ready to listen to an interview with Nicole Dutling. Now, Nicole has many different hats. She's a professor at the University of Utah, and she also works with all of the athletic teams at the University of Utah. She's had an incredible privilege of being the sports psychology consultant for many Olympic teams. So she's worked with the U.S. speed skating team, the U.S. snowboarding team, and the U.S. freestyle aerial ski team, just to name a few. So she has an incredible wealth of experience. And, you know, I love when I bring people onto this podcast because I I love talking to people every week about mindset and high performance. Um, And I love the conversations that I I have an amazing privilege of of getting to have every week. It's, It's definitely one of the things that I really look forward to every week is these interviews. And, uh, you know, um, there's some people who come on this podcast that really seriously show up as themselves and bring immense value bombs to all of you who are listening. And Nicole, she brought it today. She brought it. And Nicole, if you are listening, I want to thank you so much for providing value today to the listeners and to everybody who's listening, uh, because I know that you're going to get some serious strategies and value out of this podcast um, and this interview. So Nicole, thank you so much for for coming on this podcast. Now, there's a few things that, um, you know, I could point out many things that she talked about, because it's like every question I asked her, she she had a unique thing to say, um, just kept on really bringing it. Uh, But there's three things I want to point out. I really loved what she said about getting your rookie on. Um, love that love that quote. And she talked about really what that means is always growing and learning and how she sees the best of the best always growing and learning and, and they don't they don't wanna they don't wanna fail. And so um, they really work to bring it and they're always um, looking to grow and learn. And uh, she also talks about how she uses that in her career, you know, just always continuing to grow and learn. She also talks about one of the phrases she uses often, which is this, embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck. So she talks about what that means and how she's helped people do that. And then the last thing that she talks about towards the end of the interview is she talks quite a bit about failure. And uh, she talks early on about how um, the best of the best really hate to lose, but they're not afraid to fail. And so really what she means by this is she says failure is a possibility and a probability. And her advice for us is to really kind of wake up just with the mindset that we're going to fail at some point today. And when we um, just wake up that way and know that we're going to fail, we can take more risks and be fully present and really just give it um, our full our full effort every single day. And it was interesting because I interviewed Nicole on Friday morning. And then um, really loved the interview, and I was thinking about it kind of all throughout the day. And Friday night, I was getting ready to um, go out to a wedding reception with my husband. Um, and it, it was, I was really excited about it. Um, it was a, um, an athlete I've worked with, a football player, and I was so excited to see the team and see the coaches. And my husband and I got all nice and fancy and got all dressed up, and uh, we were in the car, and um, we were driving there. And I, I said, I just looked at my the invite again, just to double check, you know, and I said to him, 
oh, man, you're going to kill me. <laughs> and he just looked at me and I was like, um, the wedding reception is tomorrow night. <laughs> so it was Friday night at 530, but the the reception was Saturday at 530. And I thought about what Nicole said, you know, how every single day we fail. And I just was thinking quite a bit about that. And I was like, you know, that allowed me to stick it over that, um, a, you know, mistake and just enjoy enjoy the night and have a great night regardless of where we were. So we did have a great night, didn't get to go to their wedding reception, but um, still had a, a wonderful night together. So um, I look forward to hearing what you think about this interview with Nicole Detling. I would encourage you to uh, send a tweet to Nicole um, or you can reach out to me as well. Just tag us, tell us what stood out to you about this interview. And her Twitter handle is headstrongdoc. So headstrong doc and mine is mentally underscore strong. So without further ado, can't wait to hear what you think about this interview with Nicole Detling and let's bring her on. Nicole, uh, so do you want you to start us off and tell us a little bit about your passion and what you do? You know what, Sandra, my passion is what I get to do every single day and it's the coolest thing in the world. I always tell people I don't have to go to work, I get to go to work and I recognize that's a really fortunate thing to be able to do because um, a lot of people in this world really struggle. So really what my passion is, is helping people create, find, and achieve their greatness. Um, I always tell people, I just, I just teach people how to do life a little bit better, how to enjoy life a little bit more. And by doing so, my passion continues to grow. I continue to cultivate that passion and to cultivate that greatness within other people. And what better job in the world is there than that? Nice. So uh, find, achieve, and create their greatness. So tell us what you mean by greatness. You know what? Greatness is defined by every individual and every team I'm working with. You know, I mean, I, I go to a lot of teams and they're going to say things like, well, we want to win the national championship. And I say, well, who doesn't? Okay, let's talk about what makes you a little bit special. What do you really want out of life? And so helping people kind of discover what they really want, how, how to get there, and then the means for which they'll be able to do so. And then just guiding them along that path. And it's so cool to see the progress and watch their actions and behaviors. And honestly, the biggest reward for me is just standing in a corner, watching the excitement and the joy and the pure passion that comes out of those individuals every time they achieve those, those goals. It's so cool. I can just tell your energy and your passion for what you do. And I like what you're saying is like, you don't have to, but you get to. It's a privilege. Yep. Um, so, Nicole, tell us a little about, you know, how you just got to your, where you are in your career. You've had just some, such an amazing opportunity to work with so many different Olympic teams, you know, all the sports at the University of Utah, a really cool company called Skull Candy, <laughs> among other opportunities. So, um, you know, tell us how you got here. Sure. Yeah. So I was um, I actually was a college athlete myself, small school, liberal arts college, not that big of a deal. But I was double majoring in psychology and sports science, and I just kept thinking, man, which one am I going to choose? What am I going to do? How am I going to – I wish there was a field that put these two together. And actually, my dad called me up one day and said, Nicole, did you know there was a field called sports psychology? <laughs> I mean, my mind was blown. And so, Sandra, this is back. I'm dating myself. This is back in the days where what did I do when I found this out? I went to the library and I looked up a Dewey Decimal card catalog system. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Psychology, right? Um, and so I'm looking up and I'm starting to read all of these things and I was just hooked. I was fascinated. And it was crazy because it was my junior year and I played basketball and I ran track. Um, and 
my senior year, I kind of, I became my own case study without realizing it. I recognized through some of the readings I was doing that I was my own worst nightmare. I mean, I was holding myself back. I was beating myself up. I had no idea until I started reading this. And so I somewhat became my own case study. And my senior year, I was a phenomenally better player than I had been. Not a phenomenal player, mind you, but the difference between what I was doing up until I learned that to after was amazing. And so once I found that and I realized how much better I was, I thought, oh, my gosh, everybody needs this. (laughs) And so I went on to grad school, and it was a very fortunate decision for me to go to the school that I went to because my mentor was absolutely amazing. And then I went on to get my Ph.D., and I, I really think that's where I had a lot of doors opened for me. So I studied under one of the greats. I studied under Keith Henshin, and Keith is absolutely one of the greats, one of the legends within the field. And I think really he opened, he was a gatekeeper, and he opened a lot of doors for me and was able to give me some opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have gotten so early in my career without him. But yet I was able to keep those, right? So once I got in the door, he got me in the door, and then my my work and my reputation kept me there and got me some more opportunities throughout the way. So it's been such an amazing adventure, amazing experience, and I'm pretty fortunate to get to study under someone like that. Yeah, that's outstanding. You know, I have similar experience that I got really interested in sports psychology because of my own experience and uh, sometimes struggled, especially as a college athlete. So that's what fuels me today. And I'm sure, you know, that's similar for you. It's just like how much that fuels you just to see yourself as your own case study and to see how much you improve. I was a disaster. (laughs) I had no idea, right? I had no idea. And so it was just such a big turnaround that I just wanted to help everybody I possibly could. Nice. Awesome. So, Nicole, you have such an opportunity to work with some of the nation's best Um, college athletes, pro athletes, Olympians. Mm -hmm. What do you really see is, you know, their distinguishing factors? What makes them different mentally from others that don't get to that level or don't succeed or thrive at that level? You know what? I would say two words, diversity and through resiliency. So resiliency. I really believe that those who are the best at what they do, the very best of the best, man, they have a lot of haters. They deal with a lot of adversity. They have a lot of stuff thrown their way that many people find themselves giving up in those moments. I just can't take it anymore. And sure, we all feel that from time to time. I just can't take it anymore. But yet the ones who want it so badly, they know why they're doing what they do. They want it so badly that they're going to do whatever it takes. They're always going to find a way. And so they get knocked down, they get back up. They get knocked down, they get back up. And what I've found is the ones who are the very best of the best, and I'm talking like of all the athletes I've worked with, less than 1%, okay? And I've been doing this for 18 years, and so you can imagine how many athletes I've had over that period of time at different levels. We talk a lot in sports psychology about three different mindsets, well, two different mindsets a lot, but there's a third one that I think is most important. Those three are those who are afraid to lose, and we don't want people who are afraid to lose. We usually work on those who are wanting to win, really working hard to win. But there's a third mindset that I think is really special when you find it, but it's incredibly rare and it's very difficult to cultivate, are those athletes who hate to lose even more than they love to win. And I don't mean they're afraid to lose, but they hate losing. They hate it with a passion. And so they'll do anything and everything they possibly can within the rules of the game, of course, to make sure that doesn't happen. And I think that's a really 
special thing that the absolute best of the best, cream of the, cro- world, cream of the crop, world champions, gold medalists, multiple gold medalists, that's what those people have. And I think it's a very, very special mindset for them. And it sounds like just like an extreme competitiveness, you know, they don't beat themselves up, but they just don't like to lose. So, you know, you said it's hard to cultivate. What are the ways that you see that people cultivate this? Right. You know, I think a lot of it is experience over time, life experiences over time, competition over time, probably something that was instilled in them from a very young age. Um, But yet at the same time, not not to say that their passion is any greater than anyone else's, but their resiliency is so much stronger. Their resiliency is really what takes them to that next level to the point that they hate losing so much that they're pushing themselves beyond what they're, they may have initially thought they were capable of. They're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to do one more rep. They don't cut corners. They put themselves out there physically, mentally, nutrition-wise. They're doing everything they possibly can, finding the resources, doing what it takes in order to get there. And this 1% you're talking about that hate to lose, how do you see them deal with a, a loss? Or, you know, like let's say they get fourth place at the Olympics instead of the gold medal. You know, how do you see them really rebounding from that? And what do they do afterwards? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. I've actually been considering writing a book for a while called Fourth about those fourth place people who no one ever knows about and no one ever knows attention to. And it's it's a really hard place to finish, to be honest. It really, really is. Um, But what's interesting is how they handle it. And I would say probably their resilient behaviors and qualities, their protective factors, are so well-trained that we, we kind of go through, if they're working with me, we'll kind of go through a process of one of my signature techniques, essentially. I'm known for saying a lot, embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck. And so really giving them an opportunity to experience those emotions. Yeah, you know what? It does suck. You don't have to try to pretend like it doesn't, right? And so I'm really big on getting people to really experience what they're feeling in those moments and maybe a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, depending on the, you know, the, the, how big the event was and how important it was to them. But take your time and allow yourself to feel the emotions so that you can work through them and then have a plan to move forward. Don't get stuck yeah. in the suck. Yeah. So actions, behaviors, plans, things like that. We talk about those. We talk about the emotions when they're experiencing those emotions, and I really encourage them to experience those emotions. And then let's come up with a plan so you never have to experience it again. Nice. Experience (laughs) it again, you're going to know how to get through it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Nicole, you said like one thing about protective factors, and you said – um, you know, depending on you, if you get fourth, depending on how you rebound from that is kind of based on your protective factors. Right. What do you like? What do you mean by that? And can you explain that to yeah, us? Yeah, sure. So this kind of comes from some research that I've done with a couple of colleagues in mine, where we came up with these these ideas of these protective factors specifically related to resiliency and leadership. And mm-hmm. my partner, I have a partner, a business partner, who we have been going to some different government agencies. So within Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and we've been teaching resilient leadership to high identified leadership government employees. And what we do is we've identified these 10 protective factors for if you have these protective factors in place, they lead to resilient qualities and behaviors. Then some adversity or stressor happens and there you have a more positive adaptation to that. And so the 10, I mean, I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to make this podcast forever. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, some of those protective factors are things that people already have in place, but then developing them more or working on getting yeah. one more protective factor than you already have. And some of them are pretty obvious, such as social support, you know, having a strong social and personal network, um, cultivating those relationships and networks, having your people that you can go to, people you can rely on, your resources in place for whatever may happen having people you can feel safe with and talk to when those things happen. Because as you know, the catharsis of just venting sometimes is really all you need. So have people in place for those things, people who support you. We also talk a lot about optimism, being op possibility thinking and having a positive perspective. So just being really optimistic about the future, regardless of what's happened in the past, it doesn't have to identify your future. It doesn't have to determine what happens next. And so what can you do? What little behavior can you change to give yourself a different outcome, the possibility of a different outcome? So we talk about that. Another protective factor is knowing that failure means feedback. Just yeah, because yeah. you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. You failed. Okay, learn from it and move forward. And the more you fail, the more likely you're going to succeed if you learn from those failures. So you move forward different based on the feedback you get from that failure. Um, I think those are three of the big ones we have as I there's seven more but those are different things that we talk about to cultivate for really working through those adversities being more resilient and getting those protective factors in place can lead to more resilient behavior so there is a more positive adaptation when some kind of a stressor or adversity occurs. Um, I appreciate you just like giving us a snapshot of those 10 factors just so people can get an idea of what you're talking about. So Nicole, like what do you see your, the athletes that you work with or the clients you work with, what do you see them struggle with? Because even the athletes at the highest level do have some struggles and you know, no one is sort of like what I would maybe describe as perfect mentally. <laughs> so what do you really see them still struggling with? Yeah, Cinder, there's two things. In the 18 years that I've been practicing, there are two things that stand out more than anything else. And I don't care if we're talking about professional athletes, Olympians, college, high school, two things that people come to me more than anything else. And it's probably the same in your practice as well. But those two things are anxiety and confidence by far and above. And what I've found is that anxiety and confidence pretty much have an inverse relationship, at least in the athletes that I work with, in that the higher their anxiety, the lower their confidence. The yeah. lower or more controlled their anxiety, the higher their confidence, and it works in reverse as well. And so I find that someone who comes in and says, man, I'm really struggling with my confidence, probably also has some more anxiety than what they're used to. And the same thing, somebody comes in, man, I'm so nervous, I can't even concentrate, I'm puking before the game, it's, it's insane. Well, their confidence is probably pretty low because they don't feel that they're capable or qualified to meet the demands of the competition. Absolutely. I definitely see confidence in my practice. I think the other thing that I see a lot of is just how to deal with mistakes and, and failure and how to rebound from that. Yeah. Um, and even if it's on a really big stage, like the national stage, but also, you know, could just be failing, <laughs> you know, in your, the youth soccer game and making a mistake. So right. those are the two things I really see. Yeah, and I think that anxiety and that bouncing back from failure are somewhat similar also because they're having anxiety about repeating that failure or they just made a mistake and, oh, my gosh, is coach going to pull me out of the game? Well, there's some anxiety, right? So I think yeah. probably we're probably talking about very I bet so. Stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of overlap between the concepts, and you're right, like they relate to each other. Yeah. So you've, you've um, you know, shared with us quite a bit of like um, topics related to mindset and sports psychology and mental training. What would you say is like one thing that you usually always cover with your clients? Sure. Yeah. So 
You know, I found that over the years it's kind of metamorphosed a little bit, but lately the big thing that I'm on to now is that embrace the suck but don't get stuck in the suck. And one of the best ways to do that is through a formula that's E plus R equals O. That's event plus response equals your outcome. And a lot of times this comes down to controlling the controllable. So essentially events are what we get really nervous about, right? There's some kind of event that's going on, whether it's the competition or where it's going to be held or it's the level or it's the Olympics. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a really big event. So we get stuck there. We can also get stuck in this outcome of what we want to happen or maybe what we hope doesn't happen, <laughs> depending on what that athlete's mindset is. But really you have no control over either the event or the outcome. We try to control the outcome like crazy, right? We really want to win. We really want to make things happen, but yet we cannot control that because we cannot control our competitors, our teammates, our coaches, the referees, whomever it may be. The only thing that we really can control is our response. And by controlling mm -hmm. our response to an event, we have an opportunity to get the outcome we want. And so I really work on getting people's mindset focused on that response. How will you respond? What can you choose? What is within your control? And I have this diagram that I'll draw up on the board for people to be able to see, and we fill in the blanks and that kind of stuff. And I think that's been really powerful for a lot of people to recognize that our minds are usually stuck in the event or the outcome, but we can't do anything about that. But by choosing your response, you have an opportunity to get the outcome you're looking for. At least you're giving yourself a better possibility. Yeah, and I do. I see that uh, similar as well. I see a lot of people really just stuck in things that they can't control, <laughs> maybe things that they you know describe as a bad call or terrible weather, and it's like you know that doesn't help you really perform at your best. Right. So, and you know what I'm yeah. going to go back to? Yeah, did it suck? Sure did. Embrace it. It did suck, and then move on. I like that. So I like the embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck. Yeah, <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Um, so, Nicole, tell us about like a signature technique that you have, something, you know, that you help people do in terms of like, what do you teach them to help them master, you know, the six inches between their ears? Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's the E plus R equals O, embrace the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck, those types of things. And really what all that comes down to is what it's really self-talk. It's really the messages you're giving yourself about what's happening around you, the messages that you're giving yourself in terms of what's happening in this moment, where you want to be next, what you hope happens, what you don't hope happens, like things like that. And so a lot of this, the self-talk idea is coming down to this mindfulness idea as well in terms of being in the moment, what is happening right now. I, an acronym I have used for years. I'm sure I didn't make it up. I have no idea where I got it because <laughs> it's been so long. But an acronym I've used for years is WIN, what's important now. And I'm constantly asking athletes what's important now. It's not the last play. It's always the next play. The most important play in any sport is always the next play. And so I'm constantly telling athletes to write WIN on their wrist or write WIN on a glove or something like that, which – to the world looks like they want to win. Okay, cool. But to them, it's really about being in that moment and saying, did that just suck just now? Yeah. Okay. What am I going to do next? Right? What's important now? What's important now? And by paying attention to what's important now through the whole game, you play the game one game, one play at a time. You keep your mind one play at a time and you have a better opportunity for that outcome. So again, choosing your response to get your outcome. And it's, you can't control the past. So why get stuck there and be thinking about something that you just you wish you just happened, you know, would happen differently when you can't control the last play. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, so, Nicole, let's talk a little bit about yourself as a high performer. And we've been talking about failure a little bit and how, you know, the best really learn from the failure. They bounce back and they're resilient and they deal with adversity. So tell us about a time, you know, that didn't go so great for you. And, um, and maybe you would describe it as a failure, maybe maybe not. But I think that, you know, we can all learn from other people's mistakes and failures. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you this question. Yeah, no, I love this question. And to be honest with you, we could talk for days about my failures <laughs> because I fail every single day. Um, and here's something, actually, I want to tell you a story with this, if this is okay. I, I, that's perfect. I share this story pretty much anytime I go give a corporate talk, one of the government talks, when I talk to teams, I share this story a lot. Um, and so I, I kind of want to use the story to illustrate what I'm talking about. But about six years ago, I went through a pretty big adversity situation in my life, and I was kind of stuck in the suck, right? I was just, man, this really sucks, and I'm kind of stuck there. And I was flipping through the channels one day, and I caught the very tail end of some documentary on Samurai Warriors. And okay. I kind of half paid attention, but it was like, eh, whatever, okay, you know, I'm kind of listening, kind of not. And something at the very end stuck out to me that said that the Samurai Warrior was different than every other warrior, and that's what made him so great. That's what helped him succeed. And I thought, what, what is that all about? So for some reason, I kind of got fixated on samurai warriors. So I started doing all this research. I run to my computer. At this point, no more Dewey Decimal System. I got Google. <laughs> I love Much it. Easier. <laughs> so I run to my computer and I start doing this research. I'm thinking, what in the world would have made Samurai Warriors so much better? What was this? And so the first thing I look at is training. I think, well, they must have trained differently, right? You know, not really. Their training was pretty similar to every other warrior, everybody else. So I'm thinking, weaponry. Okay, equipment. Got to be equipment. Nope, their equipment wasn't really a whole lot better. Their weaponry wasn't really that much different. So then I'm thinking, well, was it nutrition? Was it some kind of an altitude, living at altitude type of thing? What was it? What was it? Well, what I ended up finding out is samurai warriors will die by their own sword before they will die at the hands of an enemy. So it was more honorable for a samurai warrior to, to fall on his sword, which is where we get the expression, fall on your sword, it was more honorable for a samurai warrior to fall on his sword than to be killed by an opponent. So if he were to receive a wound on the battlefield, that at that point in time, most battlefield wounds would end in death through infection, bleeding out, whatever it might be, the samurai warrior would get on his knees, put his sword on the ground, point it at his stomach, and fall on his sword. And I thought, whoa, okay, that's, that's interesting. So I delved a little deeper into that. And here's what I found, which is what I think brings us to the conversation today. Prior to going into any battle, because samurai warriors knew they were likely to fall on their own sword, they had already accepted the inevitability of their death. They knew prior to any single battle they went into that death would likely happen for them. They'd already accepted it. And if you're going into a battle and you know you're not coming out, you're going to take as many guys out as you can along the way. You're going to go in with everything you have, right? Where a lot of other warriors were more about kind of protecting and defending themselves. The samurai warrior was out there, man. He was taking out as many guys as he could along the way. And what I thought was really interesting about that was because that samurai warrior had already accepted his death, he wasn't afraid of it. He let go of that fear. He no longer feared that inevitability. And I think for us today, what this means is if we accept 
that failure is a possibility and a probability in a lot of things that we do, if we accept that before we go into battle or performance or whatever it might be, then we have no reason to fear it. We have no reason to be afraid of failure. And so what it did for me at that point in my life was said, you know what? Here I am in this situation that's really, really difficult, and I can't do all of these things, and I'm beating myself up every night because I'm not accomplishing things throughout the day. And the next day I got up and I said, you know what, Nicole, you're going to fail at something today, and that's okay. And so what I'm recognizing now is I know when I get up every single morning, I'm going to fail at something that day. And sometimes it's something to me is not that big of a deal, like dishes are left in the sink overnight, where some people would freak out about that, but not me. <laughs> That's a failure. I didn't get the dishes done. Other times, it's a really big failure. It's something that really did matter. But here's the beauty. We are not samurai warriors. When we fail that day, we go to bed that night. We might have trouble sleeping, but you know what? We get up the next day, and we go back into our life, and we do it all over again. We get second chances all the time at life. Every single day is a second chance at life. And maybe we don't get it with the event that we just had. Maybe we don't get a second chance at the Olympics or a national championship, but we still get to go on about our lives. We still get to learn lessons from those failures and move forward. And so that's kind of why I'm saying I, I tell this story a lot because I think that for people to understand what is really so bad about failure, what really is so life-threatening about failure if we accept that failure is part of our paths, it's part of our progress, it's part of who we are as people, as human beings, if we accept that, then we're free from the fear of it and we can go on and we can try things and we can risk and we can put ourselves out there knowing we're going to fail sometimes and we're going to get back up and come back at it the next day. Yeah, Nicole, that story was really powerful for me just listening because it's your own personal story of just like your journey to understanding failure and waking up every morning with the mindset that you will fail. And I see that as so powerful because I think in our culture, we are we aren't necessarily celebrating failure and the way that we ridicule athletes on ESPN or wherever when they fail. You know, I think we're creating this culture that you shouldn't fail. But what I hear you saying is, to accept failure as a possibility and a probability, know that you will fail so that, you know, you, you take more risks. And I think it, for me, well, when I apply that to myself, I then just be more free to be myself all day and not worry about the consequences of, you know, making a mistake. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all make mistakes. And yes, some of them are bigger than others. Absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to try to pretend that doesn't happen. But most of the time, we're not dying for our failures. Most of the time, we come back the next day and we find a different way to do things or we find a better way to do things or we find some different strategies, different methods, a different mindset. And I think that's where learning really occurs. Each time you fail, if you learn from that failure, who knows where you could go in the future. And so really recognizing failure as an opportunity to learn something about yourself and then moving forward. And I think Honestly, that's one of the reasons why I have found so much success is because I have failed like crazy. I fail every single day. Absolutely. And it's just about learning from it and saying, okay, what did you learn today from that failure? Right? Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Grow and work on a different failure. 
Awesome. Well, tell us about in any other aha moments that you can think of that you've had in your career. Um, such a rich career, you know, with, you know, the, who you get to work with is just awesome. So, yeah, can you think of any aha moments that you've had yeah. and how that could help us learn something? I totally can. So my biggest aha moment came, part of what I got into this field for was I always wanted to work with Olympic athletes. That was my thing. That was my jam. I want to work with the Olympic athletes. I want to go to the Olympics, right? And that's a lot of people in our field get in for that reason. Um, and I was very fortunate that I have had those experiences. So I get to my first Olympics. It's Vancouver 2010. And I'll tell you what, it was an amazing experience for me. I was there with short track speed skating. We had 10 athletes. Seven were first-time Olympians. And it was the first time in USA history. And we were the only short track speed skating team that Olympics that all 10 athletes came home with a medal. And holy cow, was that a big deal, right? Apollo Ono became the most decorated Winter Olympian in USA history. We had uh, Catherine Reuter get a medal, and it was the first time since 1984 a female had gotten an individual medal. You know, it was just a really, really exciting time. And so I come back, and I'm on this big high, right? I'm so excited. I achieved my dream. I got there. I did it. And we had great success. And oh, my gosh, right? So I'm totally on this endorphin high for days and days and days and days. So I, as a result, I got the opportunity to kind of travel around the country and give a few different talks. And one talk was in my hometown. I gave an annual uh, speech at the annual Chamber of Commerce banquet. And so I had a lot of friends there, a lot of family, a lot of people that I knew. And I'm giving this talk and I'm talking about how I achieved my dream and how amazing it was and what a great experience. It's so humbling to be there and be a part of this. And I got this question at the end of the talk. It was basically, I can't remember it verbatim, but essentially said, wow, you made it. That's amazing. Congratulations. What are you going to do next? And I just went, uh. (laughs) And I had this moment of, holy cow. So I did make it, but I'm not done. And I don't know where I'm going to go next, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm not done. I haven't really made it. As much as I thought I made it, I didn't really make it. And it reminded me of this quote about get your rookie on, right? And I love this and I live by this a lot, get your rookie on, which is like you're never going to make it. What is making it really? Because once you get there, isn't there somewhere else you want to go? You get to the top of the mountain. You know, I live in Utah, and so I have the opportunity to hike these beautiful mountains around here all the time. And you'll see a mountain that from the – from where you're looking looks like the biggest mountain in this whole range. I'm going to climb that mountain. So I hike up to the top of the mountain and I get up and I look around and what do I see? A mountain behind it that's a little bit higher, right? And if I were to climb that mountain, there would be another one a little bit higher. And so what I've recognized is that we never really make it. That was my aha moment. I never really make it. And I don't think I'm ever really going to make it. I'm never really going to get there. And when I do get there, I'm probably done. Right? Because when I get there and I don't want more, that means I'm not learning. I'm not getting any better. I'm no longer a rookie where I'm constantly learning. And at that point, I'm probably done. So if I feel like there's more to do, then I've not really made it yet. And you know what? I love that because that means there's more to do. There's more people that I can have a positive impact on. There's more people that I can help them find their greatness. And I truly want to help as many people in this world as I possibly can just live fuller lives, more fulfilling lives, experience things they maybe never would have gotten to experience if they weren't mentally tough. Absolutely. And I can hear how that really relates to the peak performance literature. You know, just when you accomplish something, looking forward to the next thing that you can 
go after your next goal, just to stay hungry and motivated and excited for your work. Yeah, and you know, I think it's great to celebrate those moments. So I feel like you're going to make it in moments. And absolutely, you win the national championship, man, celebrate like crazy because that's amazing. Maybe take a whole week, but the next week you come back and you go to work because there's more to be done, right? And as soon as you feel like I really have truly made it, then it's probably time to retire from whatever it is that you're doing because you're not going to improve. You're not going to get any better than that right there. And at that point, maybe it's time to walk away when you're the best at what you do. Yeah. So, Nicole, a uh, quick question for you. Which of the top ten traits of high performers um, do you think that you exhibit the most? Just learning more about you, which one of those do you think, yep, that's me? You know, it's so funny because I look at all ten of these, and I think they're all fantastic, and I can see that I have strengths in all ten of them, but I can also see I have weaknesses in all ten of them. I think going on to this idea of mastery and always improving, you know what, no matter how good we get at any one of those ten, we need to continue to improve. We need to keep getting our rookie on and getting better about that all the time. But I would say if I had to choose one, I would probably choose number one. I'm pretty gritty. I've experienced quite a bit of adversity in my life and just refused. Just said, no way. You are not going to hold me down. You are not going to keep me back. I'm always going to find a way to get it done. If I really want it, I'm going to get it done or I'm going to die trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And which of those do you feel like, gosh, maybe you could you know, improve on? Because I do think that we're all a work in progress. Yeah, sure. You know, I could improve on all 10, no doubt about it, even being gritty. I could be grittier at times for sure. But if I had to choose one again, I'd probably say number six, choosing empowering emotion. I'm a pretty passionate person, I think, and I feel things very deeply, and that means both positive and negative. And so I'll tell you what, when I'm embracing the suck, it really sucks. <laughs> and so I can experience that to a really deep degree, and I, I even feel that with the athletes that I'm working with. You know, they don't all succeed all the time. They fail, too, and I can feel that just agonizing pain for them, and that's so difficult sometimes to find that positive when they're really struggling or when I'm really struggling. Um, but at the same time, I can also feel their positive emotions too. And I feel like they're my own. I remember watching in Vancouver when one of our athletes who had sustained a really massive injury prior to the Olympics and he was standing on the podium at the Olympics after having gone through all this and I was crying like a baby, <laughs> just so happy for him and so excited. And so I feel things so strongly and so deeply that that choosing power, choosing empowering emotion is very difficult for me at times when I am in that suck, which is why I take an action, do a behavior, get out of the suck, and then I can get back to being positive. I can see how that helps you relate to your athletes so, so well, just because like they see that you really care about them. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if anybody who's listening would like to go and get that list of the top 10 traits of high performers, you can go on my website, uh, drsindra.com. So, Nicole, let's go to uh, the speed round. So let's just you know, tell us the first thing that comes to your mind. Is there a book or a resource that you could recommend, you know, that's sort of like your go-to thing uh, related to mental training, sports psychology, peak performance? Sure. I don't know if it's necessarily a go-to thing related to that, but a book I recommend all the time has nothing to do with sports psychology, and it's Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. It is absolutely one of the best books that every time I read it, I get something new from it that just helps with life, just life in general. I require it in one of my classes at the University of Utah every year. And the students hate it. They don't want to have to read a book. And then they come back and just say, holy cow, this quote, this paragraph, this idea changed my life. It changed my perspective. And I think we can all just 
So we want to do life better. Whether you're a performer in sports or a performer in music or dance or at your job or driving down the street or taking the SAT, we perform all the time. And so I think that mindset shift, that perspective in Tuesdays with Maury is just really, really good. Awesome. And what's one word that people would describe you as, Nicole? Passionate. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. This was an awesome interview because you're so passionate about what you do. I can just like tell by your face and your voice and your energy. Um, And what's the best advice you've ever received? Probably as far as the sports psychology world goes, is the most important person in your life is the one who's in front of you in that moment. And really, whoever's in your office, whether it's a high school kid or a pro athlete, it doesn't matter. Most important person in your world is right in front of you. And really showing that to them, being authentic and genuine with that, showing them that you really truly do care about them as a person, not just as an athlete, that has really, I think been beneficial for me in my career but I think the same thing for coaches right if you're having a conversation with an athlete man that athlete is the most important person in your life at that moment I think we can all be with the person we're with in the moment whomever that may be be with the person you're with and can you give us a success quote that um, is important to you yeah uh, absolutely I like our background and circumstances may have influenced who we are but we alone are responsible for who we become I think by choosing our response again Regardless of the event, we choose our response. We have an opportunity to get an outcome. We can create ourselves. Nice. We can create ourselves. I really like that. So, Nicole, final question. What advice do you have for those, you know, who are high performers who are listening? The way I describe high performance is those who are working to reach their greater potential. And you've given us a lot of um, really just useful tools and uh suggestions today. So what advice do you have for those who are listening? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say I love your definition of people who are just working hard to achieve their potential. I love that because isn't that where we all are, right? I, I absolutely love that. But I would say then for those high performers, obstacles are put in your way to see if you really want something or if you just thought you did. And so really coming back to why are you doing what you do? Do you really want this? Are you willing to go through the mo- just go through the motions or are you really willing to deal with the adversity? Are you willing to be resilient? Because it's going to come. It always comes. You're going to fail. Life is going to suck sometimes. And you're either going to choose to throw in the towel and go do something else or you're going to choose to keep going. And so I think really having an understanding about that and knowing what you want, the path you're going to take to get there, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be straightforward. There's going to be a lot of people trying to knock you down, a lot of situations that will knock you down, and you're either going to choose to get back up or not, and that really is your choice at the end of the day. Nicole, I want to thank you so much for giving all of yourself today and really being present here and just giving us so many incredible, useful suggestions and strategies. So I want to tell you what stood out to me um, related to this interview, just as a recap, um, and the things that I think are unique that you said that maybe other people on the podcast haven't talked about or talked about in a similar way. So I just commend you for being here and just giving your whole self. I really appreciate it. I know everyone who's listening really appreciates that as well. I love what you talked about how there's like only this 1% of people who really hate to lose. And that's really like a big distinguishing factor that you see. And that's what makes them so great at what they do. Uh, You talked about embracing the suck, but don't get stuck in the suck and feeling the, the full emotions of that and then working to take an action or behavior, or maybe both, so you can kind of move on um, beyond that suck. 
Uh, you talked about protective factors related to resiliency, um, social support, optimism, and failure as feedback. And then uh, really like our discussion about failure and uh, you know, just how the best accept failure every day. They see it as something that's going to be a possibility and a probability so they can really rebound and, and be prepared for that. Um, and, you know, they, they don't necessarily feel fear failure because they're expecting it. And so they take risks and, and uh, really can allow them to be really at their greater potential and be their best that day. So thank you, Nicole. Tell us how we can reach out to you and connect with you. Well, my Twitter is at HeadstrongDoc, and my website is HeadstrongConsulting.com. And I really would love to hear from any listeners what your thoughts are on this. If you agree, if you disagree, I'd love to hear it because you know what? I'm a rookie. I'm getting my rookie on, and I would love to learn from you as well. So please reach out. Send me a tweet. You can go to my website. There's a contact me form that comes right to my email. I'd really love to hear from you, your thoughts, your impressions, and how, you know what, how I can improve as well. Awesome. Love it, Nicole. So tell us what stood out to you about this podcast. You can also tag me at mentally underscore strong. Reach out to Nicole um, in any way, you know, anything that stood out to you about today. Uh, I know she'd love to hear from you. So, Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out drsyndra.com.